Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is IEP Tips Accommodations. So in this episode, similar to last week when we talked about goals, now we're talking about accommodations. IEPs, all parts of the IEP, should be individualized. They should be specific. Specific. Again, we don't want any impressionism. We want the Renaissance, lots of details. We don't want a Monet, we want a Rembrandt. We want, we want things to be specific. We want to be able to see all the details. We want to know why is this accommodation that is being proposed important for this specific child? Okay, you give every child on an IEP a multiplication chart, but why does my child need a multiplication chart? They know all of their multiplication facts instantly. That's not an appropriate accommodation for my child. We don't just have blanket accommodations. They need to be this accommodation for this specific child. Similarly, I all the time see parents ask, oh, my child has dyslexia. What accommodations should I ask for? Well, all all that you've told me is that your child has dyslexia. I don't know what accommodations your child needs. One of the most common that a lot of kids with dyslexia needs is text to speech or read aloud. And some kids can't access text to speech and they should have the read aloud, but text to speech is more independent. So it's theoretically better for kids who can benefit from it. But if your child has dyslexia and can read a grade level text and comprehend it, they might not need read aloud or text to speech. They might be just fine without either of those. Not every child with the dyslexia is actually behind in reading. So again, really think through, why is this accommodation important for this child? We wanna match everything up very well. We also need to know what exactly will it look like? This is where I think I see the most issue, where it, it just says multiplication table, multiplication chart. What amount of multiplication facts are included? What is the format of it? So, like I would want to have in there that it is the um, zero to 12 or one to 12 multiplication fact table created by Smarter Balance because that's who did in California the state testing. They created the chart. Everybody has access to that for state testing. So that's the one that I have all my students use for daily use. It's the same chart that they use So when they take the state test, it looks exactly the same. There's not a new material in front of them. So I would want to specify this chart. This is the one that the kid can use. And it used to only be a one to nine chart. And they recently changed it to a one to 12 chart. So it used to have to say one to nine. Now it says one to 12, right? So there's a, I don't want to have my kid have access to one to 25 chart. (laughs) which some of them have, 
I've even had them, but I don't want them to have access to that if then on the test they only get one to nine. It's not fair to them. So we want to practice kind of where they're, what they really need and teach them how to use what they're allowed to use for the state testing to access all the information they need on a daily basis. Now that's not to say that they can't ever use a different chart. It's just what do they actually need as their accommodation? Um, there's, you know, there's always going to be times that you can give a child something extra to use that's not necessarily part of their accommodations, but everybody in this group gets to use the 1 to 25 today for whatever reason. Um, when, to what degree, and how often will it be available? This is one of the biggest weaknesses in how accommodations are written. We get things like more time, extended time. Extended time to do what? How much? For every subject? For every assignment? For what? What does that mean? It's so vague. And the problem is you then wind up with a teacher who's like, I gave him extended time. He had five minutes more than everyone else. Or I gave it to him five minutes before everyone else. Or I let him stay in at recess to finish it. There's his extended time. He's missing recess. So we need to be very specific on what is extended time even a, a good accommodation for this child. Now, usually if I had extended time allowed for a student, it would be kind of like in exchange for something else, such as um, the student will be able to complete one writing assignment every two weeks instead of one every single week. So what you're seeing there is I've actually cut in half the amount of, amount of work the child has to do and doubled the amount of time they have to do it because that teacher had a writing assignment every single week and the child needed a lot more time and needed the weekend to work on things. So it was, if we gave them extra time, then it, it didn't really solve the problem. They wound up with just like a huge workload of like, and then it became overwhelming and they didn't want to do anything. But if we had one assignment due every two weeks instead of one due every single week, we allowed extra time and a work a lessened workload. And it was specific with the type of writing assignment was also included in there um, because of, of that, that particular situation, that, that particular student. Um, let's go back to multiplication tables. How often will be available for every single assignment, the math, the uh, math assignment, where will it be kept? At least should be addressed in the notes. If it's not put into the accommodations page, it should be somewhere in the IEP document. Where, how does the child access the multiplication chart? Is it just up on the wall of the room or do they have one, a personal one themselves? If they have a personal one themselves, what happens if it goes away? Like, how do they access it? Do they know to access it? Is there someone supporting them? We kind of want to think through and at least talk through and document all of this stuff in, in some way because you should leave the meeting with the same picture in your head as everyone else around that table has in their head of how and when and to what degree the child will be able to access their accommodations. Um, text to speech. 
sometimes sometimes things are written in and this is true for all accommodations they'll write things like as needed who is deciding if it's needed it should be when requested by the student in my opinion if you're going to have something like as needed it should be as requested by the student so and if that student is a kid who would never ask that's not appropriate to have them ask the request can be silent it can be that they go and get a computer and use it for their text-to-speech that they know how to access because they've been taught how to access it they don't have to have permission to go and do that no questions at like that all kind of needs to be spelled out really detailed um the most recent IEP writing software that I was using had all these like drop downs of accommodations and they were so bad. They were just so vague and they, they left all this like area for one, a parent to think one thing and a teacher to think another. And so I, I was always having to like rewrite it. And if I didn't, I always regretted it because if someone else got it, like, I don't know that they know what we discussed at the meeting, if we didn't document an IEP, and if they don't look at the IEP notes, and right? So, like, we just really want to be clear. And the more that's written, actually, on the, attached to the accommodations, wording, the wording of each accommodation really matters. Um, we really want all those details laid out. So, again, we want to know, we want to think through, why is this accommodation important for this child? What exactly will it look like? When, to what degree, and how often will it be available? And then we've gone through a lot of examples. One other example I wanted to discuss was the speech to text. So voice typing, dictation, however you want to say it. The child talks, the computer types for them. It might be that the child only needs that when they are typing out their five paragraph essays. So it's specific in there. That's, that's an example of how often it is available only when they're typing out five paragraph essays. They've done all of the thinking maps without it. They've done all of the um, pre-writing, even the rough draft maybe without it or up to, or starting with the rough draft, they can type it or use the voice typing. Or maybe they need it at all times for any writing assignment, um, including writing within math assignments or within reading assignments or within science assignments, within social studies assignments. I've had some students who use that as a way to spell check. They'll go to Google, turn on the microphone, say what they want to say, and see how Google spells it, which I didn't teach them to do it that way, but that's how they would do it to find out how to spell something. And then they would use that to write down their answer on their worksheet for science class or whatever class they were working on. And it was fine because that's what they needed. And they knew how to access it. They felt independent and successful. And they, again, this is an accommodation where I'm not changing the level of rigor that I'm asking of the child. I'm still expecting them to do the assignment. They're just using it to check spelling. It's not a spelling assignment, so that's fine, right? <laughs> Sorry, I started thinking about how bad spelling assignments often are. <laughs> you can get me off on a lot of tangents. 
I'm going to stick to this. Um, so speech to text as an example could be all access at all times for all assignments, or it could be very specific that it's only for typing five paragraph essays, because that's the point at which they have hand fatigue and can't really handle it, or their fine motor uh, really starts to, to struggle because of that, or their attention, or whatever, whatever the reasoning is, doesn't matter as much as this is when they're allowed to use it. The reasoning does matter. What I mean is, in writing the accommodation, it doesn't have to say because, it has to just say when it's appropriate for it to be used. Um, and a lot of students benefit from having speech-to-text primarily in the pre-writing part, where they've been given a topic and they've got all these ideas and they just can't wait to tell you about them. Instead of having you to tell them, having them tell you about them, they can turn on speech to text. They can tell the computer all about it. They get all their ideas out. And then they see this massive document that they just created that's like three pages long with just basically one, you know, unpunctuated mass of words that they might then look back at and start to think through where, where the pieces would actually fit together on their thinking map. So they've gotten the ideas out in a recorded way and they can kind of use it and they might never even look at it. But sometimes it helps to just know that they've got lots of ideas and it might help them to have someone sit with them and look at it. But that's getting into the weeds. The point is everyone has a different level of need and different times that they might need accommodation. So all of that has to be specific in there when they need it, how, how often they need it, exactly what it looks like. Um, if it says speech to text, that's fine. You as a parent and as the team might need to know that right now at this school, the speech to text option is using Google Docs voice typing. That that's the form of speech to text that is available to your child right now. It, it just, it doesn't have to be in the IEP. They always shy away from giving any specifics about um, the exact program or software or anything that's being used. But it's beneficial that everyone at the table knows what it actually looks like. So that when you ask your kid, oh, we're using speech to text and kids like, no, I just type everything on Google Docs. Well, they don't, they, they're voice typing it on Google Docs and they don't realize that that means speech to text because it's different wording, right? So just knowing that everybody knows the same things, they're all on the same page, helps a lot. <sighs> Takeaway, again, is that you should be able to fully picture what your child's accommodations will look like in school. You can have that beautiful Rembrandt painting of an IEP accommodations page. There's no Monet involved. There's no fuzziness. There's no arguing with a teacher later over whether or not an accommodation means this or means that, right? Everybody's on the same page. You know exactly what it means. Everything is laid out beautifully crystal clear. This is super rare. I've almost never seen it actually written in an IEP unless I was on the road. <laughs> but, I, but it causes a lot of problems and a lot of headache. So I really recommend pushing the point and it, it benefits everybody. Um, including the school district, because then they know what they need to be providing. And ultimately, the, 
thing, the person that matters the most for this is your child, who the IEP is for. And we want to make sure that they are benefiting from a well-written IEP. That's very specific and individualized. If you need any help on your journey, if you want me to look over an IEP with you, if you want me to tutor your child directly, if you want help understanding a recent evaluation that was done, you can reach out to me, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. Let me know what's going on, what you're wanting help with. I will either connect you with an appropriate resource or schedule something with you um, to help you directly. I look forward to hearing from you. Again, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. And I'll talk to you guys again next week.